trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is the place, as someone famously once said, this is where we gather to question the narrative, to engage in wrong think, to fearlessly deliver precision truth bombs while uh, also fearlessly uh, disarming dangerous myths. But the best part of all is you get to make up your own mind. I don't insist that you agree with me. I ask that you consider the information that I share with you. Maybe uh, maybe change your thinking if it's something that makes sense. And otherwise, own your worldview because there is a war on for your mind. This program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, also HSLAmmo.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com. It's actually SewingQuiltingCenter.com in St. George, Utah. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, also in St. George. And last but not least, GovernYourIncome.com. Now, people who have listened to me for a while know I have quite a penchant for self-reliance. I've been a prepper for a long time, coincided with the birth of my first child, and, well, frankly, hasn't really slowed down since then. But it isn't so much about preparing for apocalyptic times. It's more about maintaining the ability to say no when someone in political authority thinks they need to force you to do something. They have less leverage if you have the ability to stand on your own two feet. Got a great article here from Ryan McMacken about how they'll use the welfare state to get compliance on vaccine mandates. Now, before I dive into this, I understand this is a super polarizing issue for a lot of people. There are some, I don't think it's a big majority of people, there are some people out there who think if you haven't received the, the vaccine and, and, and you had the opportunity to, but you chose not to, essentially they think you are choosing to murder other people because of your unvaccinated status. Now, of course, I don't agree with that. I think that's uh, that's hyperbole. And there are people who believe that, you know, every vaccine is nothing more than, you know, poison administered by the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, I mean, I've I've heard it right down to the this is going to be a mass die off event for everybody who's taken the vaccine. So, you know, the extremes are, are out there. I don't know where the truth lies. It's somewhere in between them. But I do know this forcing people to receive a medical procedure that they don't want is wrong. Even if you're doing it in a nice way. And if you remember it, it started with, with simple things. It started with, you know, well, we just, we just want to persuade you to do, to do this. And we just want you to, you know, do the right thing. Hey, we'll pay you money to do it. In fact, let me share a quick quote with you. This is from Lee Walters. And this is speaking to the unvaccinated. He says, if you understand what's going on, and didn't take the poison, you have survived the greatest psychological warfare in human history. Do you realize how much time, resources, money, and effort they've put into this? They have tried to manipulate, brainwash, and force you. They've tried to scare you, attempted to make you feel guilty. They tried to bribe you with gifts. They tried to confuse you, to question your reality, also your sanity. They tried to make you abandon your principles, your morals, and your values. 
and they even managed to turn your loved ones and friends against you. Almost everyone fell for it, but not you. You never gave up on yourself. You stood up for yourself against all odds and persevered. Stay that way. Now, that may seem a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe that seems kind of, you know, crazy to people who are, are on the fence. But I don't think there are that many people on the fence right now about vaccines. I think everybody who wanted one <clears throat> can get one. And if you got one, even though you were forced into getting one, I, I really like the way Tom Woods approaches this. I would not condemn you. He would not condemn you. That would be morally reprehensible to do so. If you found yourself backed into a corner and did what you had to do, that doesn't mean that you're a sellout. Considering people were, you know, very literally looking at losing their livelihood if they didn't submit to receiving the jab. But I guess there's frustration that, uh, that they're not seeing the kind of numbers, they being, you know, the, those people in authority, elected as well as unelected bureaucrats who want to see those numbers go up. As we're going to talk about in today's show, you will never be fully vaccinated. That's a bold thing to say, but I'm going to back it up. And, and, and I think this is true. Those goalposts are portable. That fact is not lost on the people who keep moving those goalposts. Well, now you have to get this. Now you have to get that. And it's very likely that the people who are on some form of government assistance, the ones who don't have the ability to say no thank you when government says, well, would you, if you want this, you got to do what we tell you. They're going to be the ones who will feel the next bit of of pressure to get compliance on those vaccine mandates. Ryan McMacken reports a Democratic state lawmaker in Illinois has introduced legislation requiring unvaccinated residents to pay out-of-pocket for health care services. Now, it's part of an effort to come up with new and creative ways to punish people who refuse to get the COVID, COVID jab. WBBM Radio in Chicago reports Jonathan Carroll's legislation would amend the state's insurance code so that a person who's eligible to receive a COVID-19 vaccine and chooses not to be vaccinated shall pay for health care expenses out of pocket if the person becomes hospitalized because of COVID-19 symptoms. End quote. In other words, Carol is trying to ensure the unvaccinated will be denied health insurance for COVID treatments, even in cases where private insurance is already bought and paid for. Moreover, says Ryan McMacken, intervening in private insurance won't even be necessary in many cases since one-third of the population is already receiving government-funded health care. Now, this policy is quite remarkable coming from a progressive like Carol. Ryan McMacken says, after all, for decades we've been hearing from the left that health care is a human right and it must be provided to anyone and everyone at taxpayer expense. Anything, anything short of universal state-subsidized health care, we've been told, is unacceptable. Yet apparently the vaccine mandates, or the, va- the mandatory vaccine advocates, found largely on the left, of course, are so obsessed with forcing mandatory vaccines on the entire population that they're now looking for ways to deny people health care. That should tell you something. But Ryan McMacken says we should have seen this coming. He says, until recently, the left has also claimed it wants universal employment and a chicken in every pot. But since the Biden administration hatched the idea of tying employment to vaccines earlier this year, advocates of vaccine mandates now want you to be destitute and jobless if you refuse the jab. 
He says the same mandate pushers have also cleverly engineered their vaccine mandates to ensure that should you be fired for refusing the shot, well, you'll also be ineligible for unemployment insurance. And although the mandates are being forced on employers in many cases, state policymakers have concluded that termination for refusing the vaccine constitutes being fired for cause. This makes it possible to deny unemployment insurance to these dissenters. That's some pretty real pressure that's being applied. And by the way, Ryan McMacken points out, needless to say, progressive lawmakers haven't intervened to expand the welfare state on this matter. Only GOP-controlled state governments have taken action to open unemployment insurance to vaccine dissenters. He says it turns out health care, jobs, and a social safety net aren't rights after all. Now vaccine mandate advocates have decided both social programs and regulatory powers can cynically be employed as a means of gaining compliance from citizens. That's the whole that's the old adage about, you know, money from the government never comes without strings attached. In the United States, the federal government's been slowly building up to this for some time. For example, if mandate advocates want to pursue a permission to work scheme, we need look no further than the E-Verify program long pushed by anti-immigration advocates. It's a federal database designed to deny employment to people without the proper immigration paperwork. You don't need to be an oracle to see how similar regulatory infrastructure could be used to closely tie vaccination status to employment. I'm going to tap the brakes here for a moment. We'll come back to Ryan McMacken's article in just a few moments. But, you know, you may have your vaccine or you may actually feel like, well, I think this is a good thing. I think people should, you know, be made to do this even if they don't want to. But I've got to ask you this. Where would you draw the line? At what point would you say, you know, no person should be forced to violate their conscience? And I, and I say this from the standpoint of the people I talk to who are most adamant about not being forced into to making the decision to take the jab. For, for them, it is a matter of conscience. It's not a matter of, of you know, well, I, I heard that uh, this will make you, uh, you know, become mind control capable and someone can beam 5g technology and you know control your thinking i know there are some people out there who say that but most everybody i talk to it's just a matter of i'm not going to be forced end of discussion where's your line in the sand what is the issue on which you would not be forced and if you don't have one look out this is the brian hyde show This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. If you are shopping for a home in the state of Utah, first of all, good luck. You're going to need it. It's a very competitive real estate market. This is why you need the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage because they can get you that home loan you need quickly and at the best rates possible. Heather has decades of experience. She understands what the lenders need. She understands what the borrowers need. She has the clout to make things happen when time is of the essence. We're talking from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You can call her at 435-703-4522 
or visit Patriot Home Mortgage at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. So I'm sharing this article from Ryan McMacken from the uh, Mises Institute, M-I-S-E-S dot org. They'll use the welfare state to get vaccine compliance. And I don't know if that sends a chill up your back like it does me, but it's very easy to see how bureaucrats would say, well, you know, since, uh, you know, you and your kids are on WIC or something like that, in order for you to get your next check so you can, you know, buy them, you know, the the food that they need, we're just going to make sure that you guys all have had the jab and we've got it all properly documented. I mean, I've never seen an effort like this before in my life. I've never seen such a concerted effort to try to get everybody possible vaccinated. And right now, I think the vaccination rate for for kids, we're talking ages 5 to, what, 13, is under 15% nationwide. Clearly, there are a lot of parents that are not buying into the, oh, now we've got to do this for this lowest risk group possible, you know, from COVID. I don't know what's afoot. I just know that coercion on the part of people in authority is always a questionable thing. If you have to force people at gunpoint, and that's that's what the state does. It represents organized violence. If the state really, really wants you to do something, it will send men with guns and badges to force you to do it. And we're seeing this happen. We're seeing it take place in other first world nations Australia, New Zealand, Germany, Austria. Who's next? Hopefully not us. Ryan McMacken says, you know, the lesson here is that the infrastructure of a potential medical surveillance state has already been laid down by the programs and regulations that didn't have anything to do with vaccine passports. And in all this, he says, the U.S. is following in the footsteps of more centralized states where resources are more centrally planned. For example, even before the COVID crisis, the National Health Service in the United Kingdom had begun denying medical care to overweight patients and those who are smokers. In 2017, some state-controlled local health committees moved to ban access to routine or non-urgent surgery under the National Health Service until patients, quote, improve their health. Now, he says, given the nature of British health care, These patients have few options except to submit to the edicts of government health bureaucrats. Having established a near total monopoly on health care in the UK, the National Health Service can more or less dictate who gets care and who doesn't. Similarly, in the police state known as Singapore, the regime announced in November it will deny the state's health care benefits to the unvaccinated should they require medical attention. There's some pretty powerful incentive, but perhaps the most disturbing possible endgame of all these types of programs is China's social credit system, which can be used to any number of ends. Indeed, he says some way, in some ways the vaccine passport is becoming a homegrown version of China's social credit system, in which obedience to the Chinese state serves as the measure of how many freedoms a Chinese citizen is allowed. As reported by the Associated Press back in 2019, would-be air travelers were blocked from buying tickets 17.5 million times last year for social credit offenses, including unpaid fines or taxes under a controversial system the ruling Communist Party says will improve public behavior. Authorities have experimented with social credit since 2014 in areas across China. Points are deducted for breaking the law or in some areas offenses as minor as walking a dog without a leash. 
Now, again, Ryan McAdams says, as Ian Sun Cho noted for the Journal of Public and International Affairs, the system is a data-powered project to monitor, assess, and shape the behavior of all citizens and enterprises. Originally designed to achieve certain economic ends, such as payment of taxes, the plan was expanded, and once an individual is discovered to have engaged in dishonest behavior, he will face restrictions on a wide range of activities directly and indirectly related to the behavior. For instance, a failure to act upon a court judgment can lead to limitations on not only applications for government subsidies or certain professional licenses, but also sales of assets, operation of businesses, use of transportation, and consumption of luxury items. Now, Ryan McMacken says, note that the broader purpose of the system is always obedience. Those who dissent and refuse to obey face sanctions. The social credit system serves as a model for ongoing efforts to impose vaccine passport restrictions nationwide. And the fact that the Chinese state controls pensions and employment in a wide array of industries is also extremely helpful to the state. He says the growth of both the regulatory state and the welfare state have paved the way for new ways of gaining compliance on vaccines and potentially on most everything else. We should expect to see regulatory powers used extensively in any area where these powers have already been confirmed. For example, Congressman Don Beyer of Virginia has already introduced legislation tying the right to travel by rail or air with vaccine compliance. In the U.S., however, limits on police powers and regulatory powers of the federal government will likely prove to be something of an, imp- of an impediment in this regard. Thus, we should expect the federal government to be using financial power over government contractors and grantees, as we've already seen, in order to gain compliance. But if millions of Americans also depend on government welfare checks of various sorts, well, then the regulatory state won't even be necessary. The regime need only hold out the carrot of social benefits to get what it wants. He says, in this regard, potential universal basic income proposals could be especially helpful to the regime. A universal basic income program could be employed as a carrot to win over the public to all sorts of government mandates and requirements. The equation is simple. The regime need only say, do this thing, you'll get $1,000 a month. And this free money could then be tied to compliance with any number of mandates dreamed up by government agencies. Ryan McMacken says when most of the population relies on the state for health care or even a monthly check, the possibilities are virtually endless. So where does that leave you and I? Where do you, where do you think we stand? I think this is one of those times where we have to be, you know, very cognizant that uh, that there are people who would love for us to be dependent on them. Not so much because they care about us, but because by being dependent on them, it gives them undeniable power and leverage over us and presumably, you know, everybody within our immediate household. Are you sure you trust them to do the right thing? I know it sounds, Brian. Are you t- are you trying to say that uh, you know these these people can't be trusted? That they would somehow abuse that power? Oh no no no! I'm suggesting that uh, nobody in government service would ever do anything that was self-serving or that otherwise was self-aggrandizing or consolidating power on you know behalf of themselves at the expense of the public. They would never do that. Isn't that why people go into business or go into government rather in the first place? Because they are so filled with virtue and so much love and compassion for their fellow men 
that they would willingly sacrifice their time and, and, and work for a pittance of what they could make in the private sector. I mean, come on, think about it. How many people do you know who've been in Congress for any length of time, but especially the long time, how many do you know who've actually become very unspeakably wealthy in the process? All right, your sarcasm meter ought to be smoking and emitting showers of sparks right about now, so I'll go ahead and back off on the sarcasm. Self-reliance. Everything you do that strengthens your position to say no thank you when some bureaucrat comes offering benefits, you know, at a cost, that's in your favor. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Hey, please check out my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. You will find links to all of the stories that I cover in a day's program. And within those links, you will find even more links that can give you a really good, basic understanding of a lot of different subjects. Frank, frankly, you know, you could, you could follow it as far down the rabbit hole as you want. And uh, this is part of the quest to not to become a follower of my show notes or to believe everything that I say, but simply to become your own fact checker. I'm not out to create followers. I want to create leaders. I want to inspire people to step up, do their own homework, and then boldly set forth on their own path, creating more leaders themselves. When you outgrow me, you have paid me the highest compliment you possibly could because you're running under your own power and, and doing your own thing, and I take that as a huge compliment. Now, if you're a supporter of free speech... It's time to stand up for the free speech of everyone, including people with whom you disagree. That can be hard for some people. The Good Citizen Substack account has a marvelous recounting of what we're learning is now a very public uh, political suicide or public suicide of YouTube thanks to its efforts to engage in politically motivated censorship. Safety, security, misinformation, and hate speech this article says, are obvious cover for politically motivated censorship. And YouTube, colluding with legacy media and purging creators, has made for a very public suicide. The article says it had to be done. Too many people were downvoting the shoddy corporate network propaganda performances and the YouTube channels that incessantly pump out the big lies. But the removal of the dislike button is just the latest in a long series of executive follies YouTube has made to destroy itself. It didn't have to end this way. For its first 10 years online, YouTube was one of the best things about the Internet. You could watch old TV episodes like The Twilight Zone or listen to rare music albums or obscure conspiratorial documentaries about the Illuminati or find your favorite radio host's show from that day minutes after it aired. After the unapproved election of Donald Trump in 2016, though, the corporate state information gatekeepers sprung into action to coordinate mass censorship of wrong think and YouTube, like other platforms, loaded the censorship gun and put it to its own head. Now, the initial purges were reserved specifically for alternative media sources that questioned the hegemonic power of corporations, corporate media narratives, or corrupt politicians they serve. If they weren't censored and blacklisted outright like Alex Jones, they were given warnings and strikes to change their tone and chill their speech. Google 
YouTube's parent company's internal post-election company meeting after Trump's win was a premonition of what was coming. Simply observing the tone and body language of that collective corporate copathon's embrace of employee infantilisms and emotional fragility, one would be mistaken for assuming an asteroid strike of Earth was imminent. For overly sensitive, emotionally incontinent Silicon Valley chicken littles, it was much worse than that. So in preparation for the 2018 midterm elections, Silicon Valley platforms partnered with the corporate and government-funded independent groups to appoint themselves arbiters of truth and fact for their users' protection and safety against misinformation, harmful content, and hate speech. Now, YouTube's role was to continue their purges and chilling of speech and to dig its own grave by altering its search engine to show only authoritative sources. Content that uh, you once went to, to YouTube to escape. Overnight, they shut down the biggest option for alternative and thoughtful viewpoints. And if you tried to search for anything remotely political, you were met with the pages of the uniform drone of corporate nightly news drivel <clears throat> to keep you from devious wrongthink. The Alphabet News Agencies, the big five media conglomerates, and there's actually an image below that shows you how this stacks up. State-funded Pravda machines like the BBC or C CBC, failing legacy newspapers, and their obnoxious digital partners like Vox, the Young Turks, and BuzzFeed commandeered the top ten pages of search results. If you didn't know what to think or believe before the Great Purge, well, YouTube was going to show you. Now, this alteration to the search engine, purging of creators and demonetization of wrong-think content ended up costing Google's parent company billions of dollars in lost advertising revenue in the first quarter of 2019, following these policy changes. People didn't want to search YouTube for a story only to be stuck with NBC nightly news links or other useless propagandistic takes. So they stopped clicking and the ad revenue collapsed. For Silicon Valley ideologues and their Democrat Party allies, this was a small price to pay to maintain the integrity of our democracy by filtering out fake news and conspiracies because we all know democracy dies in darkness. Now that's the common parlance of propagandists and liars working for the corporate state power structures. We are censoring fake news, misinformation, and conspiracies, purging harmful comments and hate speech under the guise of community safety and protection and for the integrity of elections and democracy. Sounds like pretty convenient excuses. I mean, who could argue against those? But the good citizen substack says by now anyone who's been paying attention knows the largest purveyors of fake news, misinformation, and conspiracies like the Trump-Russia collusion, WMDs, zoonotic virus origins, and so forth... More recently, 300,000 heart attacks for post-pandemic stress disorder are the state, corporate state media apparatus. Anyone paying attention knows the corporate state is all for election integrity and democracy as long as the outcome is pre-approved before the people have a chance to decide. And if the people decide on the wrong outcome, well, the corporate state will expend all of its resources and energy to undermine and delegitimize that choice, maybe even impeach it a few times. Sounds about right. Facebook was eager to boast about partnering with the Obama campaign to help him get elected in 2008. They even openly bragged about doing it again in 2012 because election integrity and democracy. Well, in 2016, the Silicon Valley cretins tried to engineer a Hillary Clinton victory 
and were shocked when the people didn't follow their their instructions. In the years since, the lies and propaganda from the corporate media gets worse by the day, and the people know it as reflected in polls. The pandemic has only amplified this awareness exponentially. Public trust in corporate media is at an all-time low and plunges to new depths with every public poll and every story covering up pandemic lies. And while the institution once known as journalism is long gone, in its absence, people eagerly search and dig for truth wherever their digital journey takes them. To which the the substack here says, welcome, good citizens. Their primary sources were once alternative media content creators on YouTube, now digitally shipwrecked to other platforms, islands for misfit thinkers, replaced by propaganda only from approved, diligent, and trustworthy corporate state functionaries. YouTube has purged itself of all original thinkers. A few remain in isolated corners that require dedicated searching through the algorithmic fog like some amateur treasure hunter without a map. And even these few will be purged when they start making too much noise. The search engine is useless, and most of the challenging and thoughtful content is purged within minutes of being posted, resulting in a graveyard of dead links across the ether, a sea of digital flotsam. Here's a quote from Yevgeny Samyatin. True literature can exist only where it is created, not by diligent and trustworthy functionaries, but by madmen, hermits, heretics, dreamers, rebels, and skeptics. Gonna have to file that quote away. Why would anyone with anything remotely important to say on any subject ever consider starting a YouTube channel when the busybodies in the YouTube censorship department can shut them down at any moment with no good reason or justification provided. You violated our intentionally obscure and vague, selectively enforced policies created by our not-at-all Orwellian Trust and Safety Council. Thanks for playing. Goodbye. Thousands of hours of labor for attention extraction erased forever. Off to start again on another platform where the censors may arrive every day. Running the risk of offending the woke mob of outraged infants or their censorious allies is not worth one minute of anyone's time. This has led YouTube to become nothing more than a dumping ground for mediocre, thoughtless content that gets pushed behind a wall of corporate authoritative propaganda. In a decade, the entire platform will simply be a cesspit of nihilistic, mindless vloggers and topic-specific how-to videos, product reviews, nutty animal videos, pathetic unboxing videos, and the usual sad melange of grown men in their home studios opining on various topics they shouldn't be in front of the blue LED glow of kids' toy action figures aligned neatly on a shelf in their original packaging. But even they, too, will run afoul of the censors when the rare occasional original thought manifested in sound waves across their overpriced microphones catches the ire of the algorithmic purity gods. I wish I knew the byline of the person writing this because this is really brilliant stuff. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes, which you can check out at thebrianhideshow.com. So where do you find good content? Where do you find reliable, trustworthy content? Well, I might suggest you take a little trip over to my website, click on the Resources for Wrong Thinkers link, and start browsing. There's some pretty good stuff there. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. If you find value in this program, consider subscribing. I'll send you a copy of my my, uh, show notes via email each and every day. Won't cost you a dime. By the way, I have some great sponsors like LifesavingFood.com who are there to help you become more self-reliant, to be able to stand on your own feet knowing that you can provide for you and yours, even in difficult or troubled or unexpectedly, you know, crazy times. Now, they're offering a very special deal through Christmas Eve, so you might want to jump on this sooner than later. LifesavingFood.com is going to give you a 30% discount on your order, free shipping, and no sales tax if you use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout. I mean, that's a pretty sweet deal. If you have food storage and you think, well, I don't know what more we could use, take a look anyway. See if there's some places you could fill in a few gaps. If you're getting started on a food storage program, this would be a great way to do it. Come on, that 30% discount, that's legit. That's better than you would get by going to ReadyWise themselves. Again, lifesavingfood.com, 30% discount, free shipping, no sales tax. Just use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout. I want to come back here to the suicide of YouTube. I don't spend much time on YouTube, and it's not because I have this grave political disagreement. I I do disagree with, with many of their policies, but... Um, I tend to steer clear of YouTube simply because they've got my number. And they know if they can get me to click on one video, if they go, hey, that looks interesting. Drag racing crashes. Hey, let's watch. Let's see what this is like. I will be sitting there for hours because there's always another more interesting video. And their their algorithm is very good at, uh, you know, putting something up there that makes me go, ooh, maybe I should click on that. So I try to limit my time on YouTube, but as, as far as a source for information, you can find some good information, but by and large, I find myself being pushed over to, is it Brighteon, uh, to uh, Rumble? There, there are other platforms that are clearly starting to, to pick up the pace. And back to this article here from, uh, from the Good Citizen Substack. It says, by 2019, all good alternative media content creators who had spent years building up their subscribers and, depending on YouTube ad revenue for their livelihood, were left unemployed and back to square one. In the years since, the YouTube purging and censorship has become constant. It's almost a daily ritual. The vast majority of it politically motivated to deplatform anyone with views to the right of Frederick Engels. The most recent victim is Republican congressional candidate Joe Kent of Washington State. Kent is a retired Green Beret and Gold Star husband who devoted 20 years of his life to serving his country in uniform. Now he wants to take that service to the halls of Congress. He was purged from YouTube in an instant by some gender studies graduate from Bernard who has devoted her life to perusing Tumblr and TikTok. This little red guard of the Google subsidiary provided their usual justifications for the purge saying, we know this is probably very upsetting news, but it's our job to make sure that YouTube is a safe place for all. If we think a platform severe or channel severely plat- violates our policies, we take it down to protect other users on the platform. Safety and protection, there you have it. 
the world we're living in today, perfectly expressed by an automated YouTube email to a war veteran guilty of the wrong opinions. They're protecting the community and keeping the community safe from, checks notes, a retired Green Beret and Gold Star husband running for Congress with the wrong letter next to his name. Now, YouTube has dutifully and recently extended this censorous courtesy to their big pharma allies by axing anyone who dares question the safety or efficacy of vaccines that have never been through animal testing and are being systematically pumped into the human population of guinea pigs through criminal mandates. Question these Nuremberg Code violations, these crimes against humanity, and your channel will disappear into the ether. Dare to even mention safe, cheap, and effective alternatives to vaccines like ivermectin, and you'll run afoul of YouTube's corporate state guide to approved thought. YouTube will justify your wrong think purges, keeping the community safe. Keeping the community safe by, checks notes, keeping information about safe, cheap, effective drugs to treat COVID and save lives from the community. Kafka has pissed in his grave. Perhaps it's all for the best, this suicide of YouTube. It will be necessary for our digital growing pains and a well-needed social cleanse. For years, YouTube vlogger has been the top reply of children to the famous question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Surely in response to our forever pandemic world of medical apartheid and, and with a truthful counsel from parents, their answers will alter to something more noble than honest immunologist or doctor who actually treats patients instead of killing them with remdesivir and ventilators or full-time Q-code saboteur or COVID pass hacker for the resistance. Yeah, I doubt it too. The article says alternative programs or platforms rather like Rumble are slowly rising up from the ashes of the Great Purge, amplifying a balkanizing effect on information and political discourse. Tribes migrating to their corners to nod approvingly of information they already agree with, never being challenged to think beyond their comforting echo chambers. Now we can count Substack as an excellent alternative, you wouldn't be here otherwise, that has emerged as a place for words that will challenge younger generations' educational indoctrination and depleted attention spans. If you've made it this far without the aid of uh, dexamphetamine, young bucks, congratulations. But make no mistake, the corporate state overlords will come for Substack one day. They're already taking constant aim in the controlled media. How long can San Francisco-based Substack really survive in the heart of the censorious viper's nest? How long until Substack becomes another corporatocracy amplification platform, captured by the giant media conglomerates who can't fathom why they're so despised and ignored by the masses? Looking forward to the coming BuzzFeed.Substack.com articles like 10 Cute Reasons Why Joe Biden Touches Kids or DonLemon.Substack.com on Why White Supremacy is the Greatest Threat to Your Health or RachelMaddow.Substack.com articles about Putin hiding in your closet. The article concludes by saying when the men in dark suits come knocking for access to the Substack servers to purge us rebels and heretics, please Stand up for us. We're tired of misfit island hopping. The truth needs a digital home. Bon courage. Substack. You know, I've been toying with the idea of starting a substack of my own. And I think I'm going to pull the trigger on it. I think I need to. Now, I'm, I'm not a high-profile commentator like, uh, like some are. But there, there are some that are really 
powerful influencers. Glenn Greenwald would be one of the, the chief ones that I would point to. And this guy has the journalism credentials as well as the, the history of personal integrity to really make his stuff worth reading. But I do agree, it's, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to find a stable place, a stable platform where you're not going to be deplatformed for wrongthink. For now, Substack seems to offer that. I'm sure there are other alternatives I haven't heard of. If you're aware of some, please feel free to share. Contact me through, you can do it through my show notes. There's a place to leave a comment. You can also contact me through the website, send me an email. Again, it's the thebrianhideshow.com. I do think it's important that people have access to good information. That doesn't just mean on political things. Politics, unfortunately, has polluted just about every corner of our world. I mean, come on. We all know people who say, well, you know, I I used to like to go to this and that uh, actor or actress's movies, but, you know, they're this, they, they believe this way or they lean that way. You know, it, it's a political consideration. I'm not going to watch any more of their movies because they said something that I disagree with politically. And, I mean, that's your right. Okay, I'm not here to tell you, hey, you need to, you know, You need to sit there and absorb everything they have to say. You don't. But doesn't that speak to a little bit of fragility on our part when we're so eager to just, you know, avoid and and to to look for political, you know, uh, implications in anything that anybody says? I think there are some higher, more lofty ideals that we could be reaching toward. But unfortunately, politics just always seems to keep us mired in that us versus them kind of mentality. By the way, if you're very serious about breaking free of this, if even if it's just to take a little bit of a, a respite, to unplug from the matrix, so to speak, something you can do that will quickly and effectively recalibrate your moral compass as well as give your heart a reason to celebrate. Find somebody who needs some help or needs some encouragement and provide service to them. No, it really is that simple. Go render meaningful service to another person who actually needs your help and discover for yourself how little so much of the political drama actually matters in our lives. What really matters is uh, looking out for one another voluntarily. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. My job is not to tell you what to think, nor is it to insist that you are not as pure in your thinking if you don't believe ideologically everything I believe. I am here to encourage you to think a little deeper and a little more independently about everything that is going on around us. That's all. I'll give you the best information I can. What you do with that information, that is up to you. But we need to be thinking clearly because we live in times of crisis. In fact, we live in times of overlapping crises. 
That's the best thing that we can do as citizens is make sure that we are still attached to reality and not just kind of floating to and fro in whatever, you know, the sea of propaganda has sent our way. I have great sponsors who make this program possible. They include my friends at uh, GovernYourIncome.com, SewingQuiltingCenter.com, HSLAmmo.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. In the last hour, I spent some time talking about uh, uh, my distaste for politics and how politics is the leading cause of enemy-driven thinking. There's a great article on AmericanThinker.com by, by Christopher Chantrell. In politics, you can never admit you were wrong. And I'm not going to share. The, I'm not going to share much of the text from this, but I'm going to ask you please take a look at this article. And just understand that in the best of all possible worlds, the ruling class would admit to all the world that its religion, that over under politics, is the royal road to justice, is a lie and a false religion. And it would admit to all the world that administrative government, by the best and brightest, is a failure, and the brightest are to blame. But in politics, you can't admit, you can never admit that you have failed. If you're the President of the United States, you cannot say on December 8, 1941, Oh, gee, guys, I guess our intelligence services failed us. Better luck next time. Instead, you must say, December 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy. I guess this is because when a politician admits that he's made a mistake, then it's time to resign. Because politics is all about and only about leading your people against the enemy. There is no politics without an enemy. And this program is not built on enemy-driven thinking. Oh, I've been there. I've been guilty of it many times. But like uh, Christopher Chantrell, I wonder what the U.S. would be like if we had less politics. If we actually focused on living in a world where finding the next enemy or who, who should be our enemy isn't, isn't our biggest and most driving concern. So I'm going to move on to something else here. Actually, it's a great article by Thomas Knapp. Thomas L. Knapp. This was published on everything-voluntary.com. It's titled, No, Mr. President, We Are Not Your Customers. He says, Today, the White House announced on December 13th, the President is taking decisive action to promote fiscal stewardship by improving the government's service delivery to its customers, the American people. Joe Biden's latest executive order includes 36 customer experience or CX improvement commitments across 17 federal agencies. You ever think of government as, you know, a business? You're just a customer? Because it would seem like if you're a customer, then you have the right to take your business elsewhere. I don't think government allows that. I think government is more along the lines of, uh, no, you will buy this. Well, I'm really not sure that I want it. Pulls out a gun. No, you didn't hear me. You will buy this. <laughs> oh, yes, I guess I will. Because I don't, I don't want to you know, have violence you know, used against me. Thomas Knapp says, uh, this, is, this is craziness. Portraying government as a business and you as its customer ranks right up there with the consent of the governed on the list of fictions contrived to confer legitimacy on an institution that does its best to run every aspect of your life at your expense, whether you consent or not. So let's have a look at some of the customer service improvements on offer in the new executive order. First up, the Internal Revenue Service. 
Income tax filers were told will save time by having the option to schedule customer call support callbacks and get new online tools and services to ease the payment of taxes. Sorry, there's a really crass comment I want to make, but I'm going to refrain. Oh, they're going to make it more, more pleasant for us. Well, I guess we'll just try to lie back and enjoy it then. But the IRS isn't a store selling you a product or service. It's a protection racket that takes money from you whether you care to do business with it or not, on pain of fine or imprisonment for declining. If this is customer service, so is a mugger assisting you in getting your wallet out of your pants pocket, says Thomas L. Knapp. Okay, how about the State Department? Americans will be able to renew their passports securely online, saving time from having to wait and the effort and cost required to print. Go to a post office and use a paper check. So you're required to beg the government for permission to travel and fork over a bribe to get that permission. But hey, now you can beg and pay the second time, at least online. Wow, what a deal. Now, he points out some of these customer service improvements do run in the other direction, making it easier to request access to some of the money taken from you over the years with or without your consent. For example, online tools for collecting Social Security benefits that come nowhere close to the return on an indexed mutual fund that that it could have provided you had you been permitted to choose your own retirement plan. But you're not Social Security's customer. Customers get to choose with whom they do business and on what terms. Some of these customer service improvements may be real experiential improvements for you over previous methods, but they don't magically make you into a customer. They just make government's constant victimization less unpleasant. Now, that may seem like a really harsh take from Thomas L. Knapp, but I I don't disagree with him. And I think this is this is kind of the. The way of bureaucrats, you know, they, they use weasel words, they use euphemisms to cover up whatever it is that they're trying to sell to you. In fact, over the years, I've found a really good rule of thumb is whatever, whatever is being proposed, whatever the name of a given piece of legislation or policy, you almost have to hold it up to a mirror and, and realize it's intended to do the exact opposite. Ah, yes, the Patriot Act. It's an act to protect America and to keep us safe. No, it's not. It's an act to target people who are patriotic in the sense that they realize government should be limited to protecting our God-given rights rather than ruthlessly micromanaging every little aspect of our lives. Try it out sometime. Look at look at the name given to a particular piece of legislation, and they usually come up with some pretty cool acronyms or something that, that uh, ostensibly describes what this is all about. But almost always there's this Orwellian twist, like this was something straight from the Ministry of Truth. War is peace. Ignorance is strength. Freedom is slavery. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a skeptic, but... Bureaucrats are very good at, at using weasel words to try to persuade us that, hey, you know, we're just here to help you. We just we really care about you. Just don't forget that behind all that care and that uh, that little tear trickling down their cheek that uh, you know shows how much they care about you is someone who is determined to use force and coercion to make sure you toe the line. That's why there are penalties. That's why there's enforcement. Note that root right in the middle of that word, force, to make sure that you are doing what the state deems you must do. 
that's a far cry from the original uh, uh, the, the original intent, which was to to make sure that people are are having their rights protected, that justice prevails. See, I'm not I'm not quite as cynical as as, as Thomas L. Knapp, although I'm getting there. I'm I'm strongly headed in that direction. I actually believe that uh, the Constitution was a rather remarkable document and that when followed, it provides a a degree of freedom and liberty and limited government that's almost unheard of within human history. And I think that's actually something worthy of celebrating. But, you know, he talks about, well, that whole idea, the consent of the governed, that's a lie. But to understand why the, the... controversy exists around you know the actual wording of the constitution itself you got to remember there was not uh, you know this uniform agreement among all the founding generations oh yes this is how it must be and everybody was in lockstep you had consolidationists like alexander hamilton and you had others who were much more freedom oriented people like thomas jefferson something to consider if you haven't read the federalist papers and the anti-federalist papers you get a much better idea of the kinds of arguments that were being waged by the people whose job was to write and then to ratify, you know, the Constitution. So I won't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I will admit the people who say, well, it uh, didn't stop the, the U.S. government from growing into a leviathan. They do have a point. I think the fault is with us, though, rather than the Constitution itself. We didn't insist on it being followed. That's my story. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I feel like I'm kind of on one today, and it's probably because I'm running on little to no sleep. So if I seem a little bit uh, manic... There's a good reason. I'm really, really tired. The wind was keeping me awake the night before last. I had a teenager keeping me awake last night. Not that that's a bad thing, but I'm, I, I am not hitting on all cylinders today, but I'm still trying to do my part to encourage you to, to take a look at uh, some of the sources of information out there that will give you some greater understanding of the world around us as well as what you and I can do. And, and speaking of, you know, what, what can we really do? I want you to know nothing has caused a greater shift in how I live my life like the decision to live with a clear sense of purpose, not something that I always did. There were many years where I was very blissful and happy just being carried along with the current, and, you know, things were going pretty well, and it didn't really matter, you know, where I was going, just, you know, things are well, we're making ends meet, uh, life is fun, but everything changed once I realized that, uh, you know what? There is a purpose that I need to tap into. It's a personal thing. This is why I encourage you as my listener to tap into your own sense of purpose as a guiding star for your life's journey. Well, if that's something that you are strongly considering or even just, you know, tinkering with the idea, I want to share with you a commentary here from Annie Holmquist from intellectualtakeout.org. Five rules for finding purpose in life. She says, today's world is so full of fools who have turned the world into a chaotic mess 
that the most basic common sense statements become nuggets of profound wisdom. In fact, she says, I almost stood up and cheered when I came across one of these the other day. The statement in question was made by Abigail Schreier, an Oxford and Yale-educated lawyer turned independent journalist. Schreier is perhaps best known for her 2020 book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, a topic which hasn't exactly won her many friends in the politically correct stratosphere. Schreier kept her non-politically correct reputation intact during a recent speech to Princeton students in which she took polite swipes at our illogical society. Yet her speech didn't just snipe at what was wrong with the world. It also offered five ways to return to sanity. Schreier's advice points toward a life lived with purpose rather than just as another automaton marching in lockstep to the drumbeat of political and cultural elites. So here are five things, five rules for finding purpose in life. First one is get married. Official CDC numbers show that the number of marriages per 1,000 people have declined from 8 to 6 just in the first two decades of the 21st century alone. Now, this is down from more than 16 marriages per 1,000 people at the close of World War II. That's according to The Hill. Educational choices and greater financial independence for women drive this decline, but it's also likely that fear, both of divorce and of risk-taking, contribute. Yet those who avoid marriage are missing out, Schreier said. You feel that frisson or thrill in life when you choose a person to commit yourself to, knowing full well that any marriage may fail. Committing is a risk. Those who don't commit will escape marriage difficulties, but in doing so, they forget that difficulties are what make someone a better person. That's a hard truth, but that is true. Those who do commit get the thrill of companionship and looking out for someone besides themselves along with the knowledge that traditional families make the world a better place in general. Does that surprise you? That's the first rule for, you know, finding purpose in life? I would have to agree. And I, and I will just say I'm, I am a much better person than I would have been had I just simply chosen not to get married and live my life out, you know, as, as a bachelor. Not saying I would have been an evil person, but... My wife definitely has encouraged me to to reach for the the better parts of my character. Number two rule, have children. Now, this is a touchy one for some people. Birth rates are taking a beating along with marriage in 2020 saw U.S. births reach their lowest point ever. Understandably, a world in chaos isn't exactly the environment people want to bring a child into. Children are also a lot of work and even put parents at a disadvantage monetarily and time-wise. But Schreier said, having children is still one of the most thrilling, purposeful moments of life, even though she added, when you bring children into a world where there are no guarantees of their safety or success. Children are an eternal investment. They bring joy, laughter, even an opportunity for self-reflection, a mirror for your faults, and an incentive for self-improvement in order to be a good role model to little watching eyes. Rule number three, work hard. Great purpose comes when you summon the courage to fashion a life, something that will remain after you are gone. Now, there's joy that comes from working with your hands at something meaningful, not only for your family, but for the world in general. Annie Holmquist points out that landing a job in the corporate arena is considered the epitome of success. But sometimes those who have the most impact in life are those who do the simple things doing their best to brighten their little corner of the world. As the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, demonstrates, 
the small things in life, such as providing daily meals for your family, befriending a neighbor, or volunteering at church, if done faithfully, can have a greater impact for good in the world that we will ever know. Rule number four, be principled. Speaking the truth publicly with care and lucidity. That's the fourth thing that Schreier said gives her purpose in life. Now, speaking truthfully can get a person in major trouble these days via cancellation, job loss, or other things. Yet there's nothing like knowing you spoke the truth regardless of the cost. Number five, don't be bought. In conjunction with the above point, many are quick to cave or even sacrifice their principles, either for monetary gain, personal safety, or just to retain a good good reputation in woke society. But by being principled and telling the world, you cannot buy me with flattery. Schreier said it also gives life greater meaning and integrity. Now, Annie Holmquist points out there's a commonality in each of the points that Shire made. Each one involves an element of being selfless or self-sacrificing. To marry and have children, one must give of oneself continually, both in order to maintain the, con- the conjugal relationship and also to endure th- ensure that little ones survive. And the same thing goes for working with your hands and helping others. And when it comes to principal- being principled and avoiding flattery, you must lay aside your own good opinion of yourself as well as the opinion others have of you in order to do right. But isn't that what life is all about? Laying down self for others? She says, A wise person once told us that laying down our lives for others is a sign of the greatest love. Perhaps it's that reason alone why Shire finds, Shire finds so much more life purpose in these things rather than marching in lockstep and obeying the algorithm. I have a hunch that uh, this commentary probably hits a few more people's hearts if you're listening to this program because you probably are the kind of person who doesn't thrive on marching in lockstep. It's not that you're trying to be contrary, but you recognize there comes a point that you have to make that decision. Do I go along with what everybody else is doing? Do I just try to be quiet and, you know, sit in the corner and hope nobody notices that I'm not participating or chanting in unison? That's scary. And for some people, it means you're actually going to have to make the decision at some point, do I part company with polite society? That can seem very daunting. Well, that's the choice that's before us. And I trust that if you're thinking about such things, you are on the right path. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it makes you think, oh man, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to have to make this kind of a decision. It's a decision that comes to every man, woman, and child at some point in their lives. And given some of the current events that are going on around us, that moment has arrived sooner than I guess a lot of people expected. I just want to encourage you. Don't shy away from it. Embrace it. Move forward through the uncomfortable parts of it. But if you can do this with a clear conscience, that is going to be the most precious prize at the end of your life because your conscience is what's going to accompany you into whatever comes next. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to make a quick uh, note here. If you are looking for real employment independence, like you don't want to be at the mercy of uh, some corporate bureaucracy, you want to be the person who kind of charts your own course, you should go to the link in my show notes called uh, governyourincome.com. In a nutshell, this is day trading in the uh, foreign currency market, the foreign currency exchange markets. It's uh, it's something that uh, some people will find to be very, very rewarding. The company that uh, that runs this uh, this outfit actually will train you how to do that day trading. They have their own proprietary software. They have their own methods of doing it. You will be competent by the time they have trained you. And so competent, in fact, and they will have so much confidence in you, they will actually give you company money to work with to go out there and start building wealth. Of course, you split the profits with them, but, you know, how many companies do you know that would actually put their own money up because they are so confident in their system? If that sounds like something you'd like to take a closer look at, click on the link, governyourincome.com. Like I say, it's not for everybody, but for the right person, this could be a really great opportunity to work for yourself all you really need is a good, strong internet signal and a computer to work from. What do you think of that? All right, I have not spent a great deal of time talking about uh, COVID in today's show, but I want to I go ahead and broach the subject here and ask you, is it possible to comply with enough COVID regulations that the people who are issuing those regs will return our former freedoms? And before you answer that question, I'm going to ask you to consider Kit Knightley's point that no one will ever be fully vaccinated. In other words, the goalposts are movable for a reason. And Kit Knightley, writing for OffGuardian.org, says, It's time everyone realized they are chasing an intentionally impossible goal that will be pushed back over the horizon forever. The article starts with yesterday in a statement to Parliament on the UK's planned vaccine passport, Health Secretary Sajid Javid admitted the NHS pass would require three shots for you to be considered fully vaccinated. Quote, once all adults have had a reasonable chance to get their booster jab, we intend to change this exemption to require a booster dose. Now, while many of us predicted this would be the case, Kit Knightley says, it's the first time any British politician has actually said it out loud and in front of Parliament, too. This incredibly cynical, evolving definition of fully vaccinated is not a new phenomenon, and it's not isolated to the UK either. I feel like I should point out here, there are links within this article that will take you to the, the documenting evidence of what is being said here. This is not just somebody free-forming, you know, uh, an opinion. Israel changed their definition of fully vaccinated to include the booster months ago. New Zealand's Ministry of Health is considering doing the same, as is Australia. Now, the EU isn't far behind either with proposals in place to make travel dependent upon having a third dose. Now, the U.S. hasn't formally adopted a new definition yet, but you'd have to be blind not to see the signs. Just yesterday, the L.A. Times headlined, Should the definition of fully vaccinated be changed to include a booster shot? An article in, on Kaiser Health News asks the same thing. Tony Fauci is quoted in The Independent as saying it's only a matter of time before the definition is updated. 
The direct quote is, it's going to be a matter of when, not if, getting a booster shot will be considered being fully vaccinated. Opinion pieces are already appearing. Is it safe? They're asking, is it safe to hang out with the unboosted? In fact, here's a, here's a headline here uh, from Joe Pinkser. How to make everyday risk assessments when there are many shades to what it means to be vaccinated. Now, that headline apparently was so unpopular, the Atlantic changed it only a couple of hours after it was published. Even the archived version appears to have been scrubbed. All in all, Kit Knightley says it seems pretty clear that by the time 2022 rolls around, most of the Western world will require three shots in order to qualify as fully vaccinated. But this is the kicker. It's also clear that this won't stop at three. Already just last week, Pfizer were claiming they may need to move up the timeline for a fourth vaccine dose. And this change is being blamed on Omicron, with articles warning the new variant can hit the can hit the vaccinated. Fortune reports Omicron is making scientists redefine what it means to be fully vaccinated against COVID. So the third and maybe fourth doses are allegedly for Omicron, but that model can extend to perpetuity. In order to go to five, six, or seven, they'll only need to discover more new variants. It's just going to keep going and going. But there is good news in this. Every time the powers that shouldn't be change the rules in the middle of the game, it's a chance to knock people out of their media-induced hypnosis. There are promising signs that millions of already vaccinated will reject the booster. We can build on that. So tell your single and double-jabbed friends, try to open their eyes to the path that they're starting down. They may consider themselves fully vaccinated, but the government doesn't and never will. I don't know if that strikes you as a particularly, you know, harsh assessment of of how things are, but I think that's accurate. I think this this is a reflection of reality and not just some paranoid fantasy that Kit Knightley or others who are against, uh, you know, mandatory vaccines has dreamed up. And I wish that it weren't such a such a, a polarizing topic. But people are so fearful. And I think that uh, I think it's fear that drives this more than than a real evil desire to just, you know, control and manipulate other people's lives. I do think there are some people who run on that dynamic. And and frankly, I think those are the people who seek out political power. This is why I'm very skeptical of what I've called power seekers for a long time. Power seekers and opportunists. And one of the things that's so insidious is they'll they'll try to convince you, well, you know, this is really your idea. You're the one who really wanted this, and I'm just doing what you ask, what the people ask. It's not just at the federal level, too. I mean, you'll see it right down to the local level. But the decision remains the same for you and me. No matter where, where the pressure is coming from, be it, you know, at the highest levels of government or right down to your local government, you and I have to make the decision, will I go along with this, or will I stand on my convictions, stand on my principles, and refuse And I'll grant you there are different ways that people, you know, will stand up and refuse. Some people are very content with, you know, being the gadfly, being, you know, loud and um, boisterous in people's faces. Sometimes that works as far as getting attention. I don't know how it works as far as, as changing minds. If we're serious about getting people to consider things at a deep enough level that they might actually consider information that runs counter to the prevailing narrative... 
That's something that can only happen when the message that you and I are delivering is delivered with a sense of love and a desire to inspire them to consider that information rather than to require it. If you feel like you have to win an argument with someone, if you have to win a discussion about, uh, about this subject, well, I'm going to suggest you're probably doing it wrong. When's the last time that someone argued you into submission? You finally just said, okay, all right, you're right. All right, where do I sign up for Amway or whatever it was? Anyway, that was probably a cheap shot, but uh, (laughs) I've sat through way too many presentations to, to not take one when the opportunity comes. Anyway, you've got to be clear about where you stand. You've got to be clear about what you actually believe. And I don't mean for this to sound like I'm condemning people, but... It's shocking how few people have actually taken the time to sit down and really think about what do I stand for? What is it that I would consider my um, non-negotiable principles and foundational principles upon which I base my life? And you don't have to get into really deep, lofty stuff. I mean, it's it's not like I'm asking you, hey, sit down and produce, you know, something along the line of Aristotle's ethics, you know, to where, you know, you're examining everything in the greatest possible detail. I'm talking about something fairly simple, but it does require focus and it does require some concentrated effort. Now, if that's something that, that piques your interest, okay, I want to I do that. I want to know more about, you know, what do I really stand for? Number one suggestion I have is if you do that, lose the electronic devices. Do it in a setting where you are not, uh, you know, having to check your phone because, oh, I just pinged somebody messaged me here. And, you know, don't, don't do it where you can be distracted. Frankly, I think going out into nature is, is possibly the best alternative. Take a pencil and paper something you can write with, find a place where, um, where you can actually think, where it's quiet, and then just start writing. You don't have to have a clear outline, and you know, it doesn't have to be you know, a particular format. Just start writing about the things that matter to you, the things that, uh, that you would hang your hat on as being essential to living a good life and to being a good person. You'll surprise yourself as that information starts to fill up the page. But again, it's essential. You've got to get away from the distractions, especially your electronic leashes. And then let your uh, antenna just kind of calibrate themselves. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I hope you'll take the time to get to know my sponsors. Even if you're not doing business with them at the moment, maybe you don't need their product or service at this moment. If you were to drop them an email, make a phone call. If you're in town, drop in and tell them, hey, I heard Brian talking about you. It's good to hear him, uh, you know, singing your praises, evangelizing for you. Let them know that their message reached your ears, and I would greatly appreciate it. These are the people who make it possible for me to do what I do on a daily basis. I'm so thankful for them. And maybe, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ate up with any kind of uh, delusion that, boy, what this, what I'm doing right now is changing the whole world. I honestly have no idea how big my listening audience is. And, and I don't want to sound cavalier, but I don't really care 
how many people are listening at the moment, the fact that you are listening is enough. And if it's just you and me, well, so be it. I'm still going to give you my very best, my most sincere take on things that I believe matter and insights that I hope will help provide some clarity and and an encouragement that you own your worldview and be much more certain of who you are and what you stand for than simply who or what you're against. So if that's something that brings value to you, I just want you to know it's these sponsors that make it possible by allowing me to focus my time and my talents and my effort during the day on creating this message and then putting it out there, well, every weekday. And I'm very grateful to the many platforms that, that have um, embraced this and given me the opportunity to do so. I don't have all the answers, and I won't pretend to, but uh, I feel like I'm doing what, uh, what God would want me to do with what I have to work with. So thank you for being a part of that. So, you know, there are some people who are so enthralled with gaining and maintaining power over others, they just can't help but grasp for a little bit more when they think they see an opportunity. And, and I saw this this last weekend. Um, I don't know if you, if you were familiar. You probably heard about the, the spate of tornadoes that uh, ripped across parts of the U.S. over the weekend. It was crazy. 30-some-odd tornadoes in one night, some of them very severe You know, there was pretty significant loss of life. We're talking dozens of people died as a result of these nighttime tornadoes. And I've always had kind of a lifelong fear of tornadoes. And I, I go back to the Wizard of Oz as a kid. There was something just so utterly horrifying about that black and white twister slowly looping back and forth and coming closer and closer to, you know, Dorothy's home. Um, Not to mention all the stuff that was swirling around in it. That was really terrifying stuff for a kid. Frankly, it scared me more than the flying monkeys, and that's saying something. And then, of course, when I grew up, I was called to serve a mission for my church in Oklahoma. Yep, right in the heart of Tornado Alley. And, And I secretly wished, boy, I wish I could see a tornado. It would be so cool. And then I got my wish one day, and I realized... This isn't cool at all. This is actually the scariest, most terrifying event I have ever been a part of. It's, it's the first time in my life where I seriously went, I could die. This, this could be the end of my life right here, and there is nothing that I can do about it. Actually, there was one thing I could do about it, and that was pray, but um, that's another story. That's one I'll share at another time. Nonetheless, a tornado at night especially a tornado that's wrapped in rain. It just looks like a big rotating wall of fog coming closer. That's what these people were facing. The damage, if you've seen the drone footage from these tornadoes, is uh, almost incomprehensible. You know, houses scoured down right to the foundation. There's just nothing but a foundation sitting there. And, of course, you know, so much loss of property, so much loss of life. And, and isn't it interesting that some of the first people to step up were like, well, you know, this is, uh, this is proof climate change is a real thing. And, you know, these politicians like Rand Paul, Kentucky was hit especially hard since he's a senator from Kentucky. He posted something on Twitter about, you know, we are here to help you and we're, you know, our hearts go out to the people who have suffered under these storms. And, of course, the, here come the, the naysayers. Well, you know, he has voted against climate change initiatives and blah, blah, blah. And it's like they can't help themselves. There's this pathological need for everything has to be about, well, if you would just give us control and you would just listen to what we have to say, this never would have happened. 
And to me, it's it's kind of sickening to see people devolve to that point where they'll they'll claim that uh, you know the, that flurry of deadly tornadoes was proof that climate change is a real problem, and you guys probably deserved what happened. So I want to set the record straight here. I'm going to use an article here from Craig Rucker. The t- the headline is uh, "Wrong Again, Biden." Tornadoes are weather, not climate. It's a very short piece, but man, he gets right to the the heart of the matter. Devastating tornadoes struck America's heartland Friday night, leaving death, destruction, and heartache in their trail. When asked whether the tornadoes were due to climate change, President Biden replied, Everything's more intense when the climate is warming, and obviously it has some impact here. Now, CFAC's Mark Morano reports at Climate Depot that weather and climate experts were shocked by the president's misstatement. These tornadoes were tragic, but they were natural weather, not climate. In fact, Mark just appeared on Fox News primetime to talk about this. Weather expert Chris Matt said this is utter bull. You know what? Here are the facts. No overall trend in U.S. tornado activity since 1954, but EF3 plus down 50. In other words, EF3 intensity tornadoes or higher has been down by about 50. Climate scientist Dr. Roy Spencer said to claim global warming as cause for tornadoes is directly opposite to the clear observational evidence. Extreme weather expert Dr. Roger Pielk Jr. noted that the UN IPCC report states trends in tornadoes associated with severe convective storms are not robustly detected. Attribution of certain classes of extreme weather, in other words, tornadoes, is beyond current modeling and theoretical capabilities. Tony Heller, who runs the Real Science blog, said in a video, history and science aren't among Joe Biden's strong points. He's being pretty diplomatic, actually. (laughs) Legendary forecaster Joe Bastardi posted at CFAC.org that if that's all that Biden knows, the chart from NOAA shows that he knows next to nothing. When natural disaster strikes, it calls upon the best in all of us to help those in need. Exploiting natural tragedy to push a political agenda is wrong. So I hope you understand. I'm not calling you to, hey, let's rise up and let's condemn and let's, you know, go harangue those people and throw trash at them as they walk down the street who claimed that, uh, well, you know, these people who suffered and died in these tornadoes had it coming because their political representatives don't toe the line on climate change. Now, I'm not going to say that you need to go and condemn them. I think uh, they, they've got their own issues. If, if they are so drawn to power and control and the desire to dominate others, that that's the first thing that they're looking for. Anything to grab just a little bit more power. That doesn't speak to a healthy mind. That doesn't speak to anything other than a small soul. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because we need to make the very conscious effort not to be that kind of person. And part of that comes down to the idea of limiting your consumption of politics. People who are politically possessed tend to see politics in everything around them. And I know that uh, some will hear what I just said as, well, Brian, are you saying that uh, we should just stick our heads in the sand and pretend that politics isn't happening? Actually, I'm not suggesting that. But I am going to suggest that as you focus on the things in life that are really important, in other words, the things that have measurable, lasting impact in your life and the lives of the people you love most, 
that's usually when clarity comes about that uh, that indicates, you know what? The political stuff, the political considerations aren't as important as we often make them out to be. As a good friend put it to me here a, a couple of uh, months back, he said the stuff that we get so wound up about, for the most part, really doesn't even matter. And I think the, the biggest reason for that is because so much of it is politically driven. So for those of you who are using your influence, you know, to try to affect change within the political arena, I wish you luck. But I also hope you'll maintain that that perspective that politics isn't everything. That it shouldn't be the primary facet of our existence. We're multifaceted people. We have different needs, different talents, different things that drive us in life. And when politics becomes the driving force in our lives, it tends to make us think in enemy-driven terms. We've got to be better than that. What moves the needle in the right direction are people who know who they are, who know what they stand for, and who can convey that either through words or, better, through actions to the people around them. And you'd be surprised how many people will pick up on your stability, your ability to remain calm and collected, your sense of peace, or even your sense of happiness, in spite of, you know, things around us falling apart like a soup sandwich. They may want to know, what do you know that I don't? There's an opportunity to share those kind of things rather than beat it into them. You see the difference? This is The Brian Hyde Show.